Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 474. Kind of a different episode today. Um, I am going to be, I'm a little nervous to be this honest about what's been going on. Um, nothing, I guess nothing bad. I've been having a hard time connecting with my, uh, material, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, I, and I, I ended up accidentally taking a couple days off. I been busy with other projects, hanging out with friends, working on my taxes, just like trying to do another stuff. A couple days went by and I'm like, wow, I haven't done an episode. And like, so usually let me, let me back up. I write every day about sports. I wake up get a couple topics together, sit down, and kind of work through my thoughts. And I haven't written in like three days, and that feels weird. Um, and whenever I'm having a hard time connecting with material, I'll give you some advice. I know a lot of people – I'm not an artist. I don't. I feel weird saying that. But I, I do creative work. Um, and whenever you're having a hard time being creative, I have learned that it's good to give yourself kind of a win, kind of a, an easy victory where you're like, ah, and it gets the ball rolling – And once you start writing about one thing and you get an easy victory, then you can write about a bunch of other stuff. It has like a snowball effect. And so um, the topics for the next episode, we're going to talk about uh, Jim Ursay slamming Carson Wentz, Bruce Arians, the NFL's new overtime rules. Um, I hope the Steelers trade up for Malik Willis, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, Deion Sanders, some predictions versus reality. Like I got all the stuff I got to write about and kind of gather my thoughts about – but I, today, I'm giving myself an easy win. It's an episode that I think is meaningful, that I am excited about, that I think is going to get the ball rolling uh, to a lot of other creative work. Um, and today, we're talking about eight athletes that I admire in the sports world. Then we will end the show with about a 15-minute segment I recorded on Sunday about the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, the second Formula One race of the year. If somehow, between all of that, I'm like, I'm still feeling like the episode's short. I got to add something to it. Um, we can do some Ask Zach questions from Patreon. I'd rather save them for the next episode or two because I got, we're just, you know, it's a weird time of year. There's not a lot going on. And the stuff that is happening, I'm like, I, I, I got to care, I guess. But I'm like, ugh, I just got to push through it. So um, I do want to, I do want to start with a question, though. A, a question for you guys, the audience. Uh, my, I have an older half-sister I don't talk about very often. And uh, she, partially, she's very private. I, I think she would be glad that I don't talk about her publicly. Uh, but I got a nephew. I got a nephew who is uh, early high school, 12 to, I wish I knew his age. I feel guilty not knowing. In fact, let me read her text. How old is he turning? It's his birthday coming up. I'm getting ready to send him a gift. And she said, no video games. And so I'm like, well... What do I get him? Yeah, he's turning 14 uh, coming up, which I remember when I was 14, I, was, I wanted video games and, like, football equipment, right? So I'm like, if anybody has any advice on what to buy a 14-year-old boy for his birthday, let me know. Uh, I want to buy a gift for my nephew, and I'm not really sure what to do there. So if anyone out there is like, hey, here's a good recommendation. I'm 25. It's been a while since I was 14. I don't know what 14-year-old kids are doing these days. I was going to buy him a video game. She said, no, 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 not, not that. So now I'm like, well, crap. I got to figure out something else. And uh, if anyone has any recommendations, please write in and let me know. Uh, I want to just say, man, I hope you're doing well. I hope life's good for you. Um, my life's been great. I've been really enjoying life. I've got a great friend group here working on a bunch of stuff. Now, I want to start today. Again, the light topic today, eight athletes that I admire people and mostly quarterbacks let's be real I played quarterback I know that position very well um I relate very well and and closely to the quarterback position and I just understand it better than other stuff in sports and certainly there are other athletes that I'm leaving off that I um also admire these are just the eight I sat down and came up with off the top of my head today sitting down I'm like okay it's an easy thing to write about easy thing to get going on uh the first person I admire that I want to talk about is the Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is one of my absolute favorite people on the planet that is a professional athlete. And uh, he is not one of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL. It's a weird thing to love someone so much in spite of the fact that he's not a superstar. He's not one of the best. He's, he's fine. He's very good. Better than most humans on planet Earth at playing quarterback. But he's not Tom Brady. 
He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Justin Herbert. Um, but I admire who he is as a person tremendously. Uh, his story begins at Alabama. He started as a freshman his first year at Alabama um, and led his team to a national championship and was doing awesome. Um, and there came a point at Alabama where he lost his job against Georgia in the national title game. And now leading up to this point in his career, he's always been at that point of his career was known as a guy who he was winning at Alabama because the team around him was really good and he could run a little bit, but he was not known for being a great passer. He was a very, he was the kind of guy that if you Jalen hurts early in his career at Alabama, if you said, Hey, that guy's going to be an NFL starting quarterback. I probably would have laughed at you. I would have said, he's a guy who's going to, Peak in college, right? He can run, not a great thrower. Um, his best years are probably happening right now. They're certainly not ahead of him. And at, at one point, he lost his job at Alabama. He was the starting quarterback against Georgia in the national title game. They were losing at halftime. It wasn't going well. And they put in Tua Tungvaloa at quarterback. And Tua brings him back, throws a touchdown to Devontae Smith. They win the national title. And then Jalen Hurts has this weird decision. What do I do? You know, like, I, well, I lost my job in this massive game. It's a moment everybody saw. Do I transfer and try to go play somewhere else, or do I stay and compete with Tua? And he did something that most people would not have chosen. He decided to stay at Alabama to take the quarterback competition head on. Say, I'm going to compete with Tua and see what happens. And he lost the quarterback battle to Tua. And then still remained at Alabama as the backup for a year. And, you know, played very sparingly. When Alabama was up like 50 to nothing in games, he would come in at the end of the fourth quarter. And he actually played pretty well in his brief appearances that, that year. And he's talked about before how he's so glad he did stay at Alabama. And how competing against Tua, who was a better quarterback at the time, brought the best out of him, not only as a person, but as a quarterback. Made him tougher mentally, uh, made him have to grow as a passer and develop as a quarterback. And what's really crazy is that in the college football, I believe it was the, I, I don't remember the detail of this very, very well. I believe it was the SEC championship game. I remember it was against Georgia. A very ironically similar story took place to what happened in the national title before. They're playing against Georgia. Tua gets hurt, and Jalen Hurts has to come in, and he leads them to victory over Georgia. It was a moment where everything came full circle, and Jalen Hurts played really well. And what it showed was what we kind of thought all year was, hey, the moments Jalen Hurts has played as a backup this year, he's looked really good. And then he came in against Georgia and won the game, and you're like, yeah, he's, he's a better quarterback than he was last time we saw him as a starter for Alabama. So after that year, after one year of being a backup at Alabama, then he finally decides, I'm going to leave Alabama. I appreciate the opportunity. I had a great time here. Everyone was wonderful to me. But now I got to do what's best for me and go get on the playing field somewhere. He goes to Oklahoma and finishes as a Heisman Trophy finalist, has a great year. I thought it got even better. And what I admire so tremendously about Jalen Hurts, more than almost any athlete I've ever seen, is steady progression. Every year I have watched Jalen Hurts since his first year at Alabama, he's gotten better and better and better and better. He's a great leader. People love him. And he clearly works really, really hard. But it doesn't end there. Then he goes to Philadelphia in the NFL as a second-round pick. They got a starting quarterback. You might have heard of him, Carson Wentz. And uh, he's the guy. Got a big contract. Took him to, you know, they won a Super Bowl. He wasn't playing. He was hurt, but they you know, had a great year that year. So Carson Wentz is the guy in Philadelphia. But, hey, Jalen Hurts, very versatile, can run the ball a little bit. A solid backup, kind of a gadget player. We'll see how they're going to use him in Philadelphia. And things start to go wrong in Philadelphia. The offensive line gets hurt. Carson start, starts playing not very well. And Jalen Hurts eventually won the job in Philadelphia over the course of his rookie year, beating out 
Carson Wentz and playing better than him, taking his job. So much so that they traded Carson Wentz to Indianapolis. And Jalen Hurts became the full-time starter in Philadelphia. And, and this past year, led the Eagles to a playoff game, which, man, I did not see that coming at all. Um, now, that's pretty cool in of itself. Now, my favorite thing about Jalen Hurts, though, there's a moment where Philadelphia is playing at Washington. And he's walking off the field. And there are fans reaching over the railing, trying to touch him, kind of like he's Jesus or something like, let's touch his shoulder, give him a high five, whatever. And the railing collapses at Jalen Hurts' feet. And by the way, Miss is destroying his knee by like four or five inches. Like if he'd been another couple feet over, that's a blown ACL. Jalen Hurts is out for the year. Like kind of a, frankly, a dangerous situation, what went on. Having a, a massive railing and a ton of people collapse onto an NFL player. How does Jalen Hurts handle that moment? What does he do? Anyone know? I know. I'll tell you what he did. Instead of freaking out, instead of making the moment worse, Jalen Hurts de-escalated the situation. He picks up the fans that are there. Some of them, I believe some of them are Washington fans. I remember mostly them being Philadelphia fans. He introduces himself. Hey, I'm Jalen. How are you doing? Gives them like a hug, comforts them a little bit, takes a picture with them. And instead of, he could have very easily just run away, you know, like, oh my gosh, I almost took out my knee. I'm going to just run into the tunnel and disappear. Instead, he turned a chaotic moment into a very positive moment, a cool fan interaction, calming people down, helping them up, making sure they're okay after falling off of a railing. Takes a picture of them. Probably made a a bad moment for a fan into one of the best moments of their life. Getting to meet the starting quarterback of their football team. Or any, if you're a Washington fan, hey, it's still cool you met the Eagles quarterback, like, face to face. And that was the moment where I said, this guy is someone you want to follow. Like, I'm sorry, but not every person is equipped to handle a tense stressful moment when the game is on the line in the fourth quarter and the pressure's on and it's stressful. That moment made me go, I want to follow Jalen Hurts into battle because it would, and it's not just an example of how he handles stuff on the field. It's also probably how he handles stuff off the field in traffic. Stuff goes wrong in life. Breaks up. Someone breaks up with you. Someone dies, this or that. Like I know now Jalen Hurts handles crisis very well. And I, it's one of my favorite all-time moments from Jalen Hurts' career. It's this weird moment where a railing collapsed and he handled it incredibly. And uh, I just will always admire Jalen Hurts, not really for the person he is on the I mean, he's a great player. He's fine. He, he's certainly not Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert. But the man he is off the field and the person behind the player Golly, man, I love, love, love Jalen Hurts. I admire him. I respect him. He is a pretty clearly a stand-up dude. And uh, I, I just have to brag about how much I love this guy. I love Jalen Hurts. How about the second player that I admire in the sports world? Let's talk about someone we just already talked about. Tua Tungavaloa. And now I love Tua for... Mostly emotional reasons. I live in Hawaii. Um, I, if you're from Hawaii, I, I, I'm a big fan of you because I, I love the culture. I, I live here. I, uh, I tend to root for people that are from the place I love the most on planet Earth. So that, that, let's start there, right? Uh, I also, I, I, how do I, um, I hear good things about his family. Say that uh, a lot of people, his family's beloved here, man, and they they're great family values and the dad is awesome. And I, I, I just find myself rooting for Tua as a person. He has struggled at times on the field early in his NFL career. I'm really excited for what they're building around him in Miami. They got Mike McDaniels as new head coach. He is building a great running game and they got Jalen Waddle, Tyree Kill. Like they're giving him weapons and they're removing any excuse for Tua to not succeed in the NFL, which I love that. But here is why I really, really, really admire Tua Tungavaloa. 
maybe two reasons. He got hurt his senior year at Alabama. And it's a tough injury. He dislocated his hip and had to, and then COVID hits and he had to figure out how to do like a pro day with Trent Dilfer, basically at like an indoor soccer stadium. Like it was pretty wild. But the reason I look at Tua and just really admire who he is as a person is last year, his team did not make it clear they wanted him. As a quarterback, you have to believe in yourself more than anybody else. But I'll tell you what, when your team believes in you, it's a hell of a lot easier to believe in yourself. When your organization is constantly making it clear, not only that they don't necessarily want you, but that they want someone else. To keep fighting and keep battling is incredibly difficult. Last year, Miami was openly pursuing a Deshaun Watson trade with Houston. And Tua, through it all, had to keep playing. I guess I, you know, all I can do is my job the best I can do. It's pretty awkward, though. Imagine you're dating a girl. Meanwhile, she's actively going on dates or calling other guys and trying to hang out with other people. You're like, I don't, I don't feel like you want me. It's pretty awkward. That's what happened to Tua in Miami last year. And I thought that he handled things as well as he did and played as well as he did. Not amazingly, but certainly handled it better than most people would have given the uncertainty at that position. I mean, it's kind of a meme. It's kind of true. You saw Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. The minute there were rumors that the team was going to make a move for Deshaun Watson, he's like putting out this long message saying, hey, Cleveland, I appreciate your support. And he, Baker could not handle that. Baker Mayfield did not handle the Deshaun Watson rumors nearly as well as Tua Tungvaloa did. And my goodness, man, I, uh, I just think it's, it's a, it takes a lot of mental fortitude to keep doing your job uh, and, and keep going. And doing, frankly, not horribly. Tua did solid last year with all that uncertainty swirling around and feeling so unwanted and feeling like your team doesn't want you, like, how can you have confidence in yourself if your team doesn't? And Tua found a way to do that. And I'm, I'm very, very glad to see now that Miami has a coach who appears to be, you know, really investing in Tua and giving him a fair shot, saying we're going to do everything we can to make Tua succeed. Now if Tua fails, it's on him, not on us for not properly supporting him. And I, I love that. And I just will always admire the way that Tua handled the Deshaun Watson trade rumors last year. How about my man, Tom Brady? There are countless reasons why you could admire Tom Brady, uh, right? He is a former sixth round pick, a guy who went from being nobody to winning eight Super Bowls and, and winning so much and, and being so dominant in the NFL that people now don't like him. And it's, it's really insane to me. People, I think, forget where Tom Brady came from. Tom Brady is one of the greatest stories of the American dream in the history of America. Like, he's a guy, and maybe that's a bit exaggeratory. I don't know. But certainly he's a great example of someone who came out of nowhere to become the greatest ever to do what he's done. I, I don't understand how people hate him for that. I get it if you're a Jets fan or a Buffalo Bills fan and he dominated your team for years. Fair enough. But you have to at least respect it. Where he came from. He wasn't a, a first overall pick. He wasn't a guy that was believed to be a franchise quarterback. He was someone that, frankly, wasn't really wanted by the NFL. Who had to earn every opportunity he got. And time after time after time. When his number was called, he answered and rung the bell and, and did well. I love that. That's an incredible story. And I think for some reason, Tom Brady, it must be because he's won for so long, people forget where he came from and forget the story of Tom Brady, the early Tom Brady, the guy who came out of nowhere and became the greatest. And I, I think that's an, an incredible story all by itself. Then on top of that, you think about, well, you know, six-round pick, one-eight Super Bowls, but he's also a great dad. He comes across like a great dad. He's completely focused on football and family. That's it. 
And then you've got the whole part of his game where he takes better care of his body than really anyone else to ever do what he does. He's got these weird alternative methods that people at times have called him crazy for. You know, pliability. He's like, I don't care about lifting weights. Who cares how much I can bench press? I got to throw out routes accurately and be able to take a hit. And he, he really kind of mastered figuring out exactly how to get the very most out of his body and the most out of his playing style. And he wasn't afraid to be different. And it has worked very well for Tom Brady to be a little bit different <laughs> with his approach. And I, I, I admire someone who is not afraid to be different than other people. Doesn't mind being called crazy because guess what? It works. And I love that. And when I was a kid growing up, Tommy Brady was my idol. You know, there are two people actually, Tom Brady and Tim Tebow. I heard a quote about Tim Tebow where, you know, they had a coach who said that it was his coach at Nice High School, guy who actually once coached at Southern Oregon and uh, no one else knows the name Austin Dodge, but he coached Austin Dodge from my high school and they won a national title and were incredible. And um, coach at Nice High School said about Tim Tebow, he's the kind of guy you want to pull the reins back on, not have to push ever. And I, I found that very inspiring as a guy. I'm like, I want to be the kind of person who people have to say, hey, relax, slow down, try to get some sleep. No one ever is going to have to motivate me or push me to get going. And Tom Brady was the other person growing up that really inspired me, where he would talk about how, like, you have to work like others won't so you can live like others can't. And that's something that will pay off for you in way more avenues than just football. Right? Like, Early in my career as a podcaster, I slept under my desk. I had a tiny little dorm room. I started – there was no room for a bed. I had a studio. So my, my mattress was up against the wall, and when I we needed to sleep on it, I'd put it on the floor under my desk literally and sleep on it at night. And that was the kind of moment I would tell myself, like, I'm doing what Tom Brady would do. I'm working like others won't. To live like others can't. And now I live in Hawaii. I've got a dream job. I'm very happy. And that kind of stuff gets me going. I love that. So that is why I really, really admire Tom Brady. His story, where he came from, the dedication, his clear care for his children as a dad. I love that. I hope to be half the dad Tom Brady is someday. I'd love to have a family of my own. Um, and I, I hope I can be a great dad as well. Um, the next guy, let's go from one end of the spectrum, maybe in some ways, but maybe also not in others. Let's talk about Peyton Manning. Tom Brady was a sixth-round pick. I believe pick 199. Peyton Manning was the number one overall pick. Peyton Manning was the son of a great quarterback, Archie Manning, part of a great football family. The quarterback who went to Tennessee, who was the, the prodigal son in the football world, the best quarterback prospect since John Elway. That's how everyone viewed Peyton Manning. What Peyton Manning dealt with is something that I think people don't acknowledge very often, the burden of expectation. It's pretty hard to, when the world thinks you're going to become the best, it's pretty rare that guy can exceed the expectations, and that's exactly what Peyton Manning did. How many people have been the number one overall pick and failed or been viewed as this incredible quarterback prospect and it's not worked out? You see it at every level, high school, college, professional, everywhere. And it's not just in football. It's in basketball. It's in baseball. You see how many number one overall picks don't work out? How many number one picks, uh, frankly, are, are, are Markel Fultz who didn't work in Philadelphia? Or you know, the famous guy that I, a person I've talked to, been on my show, Ryan Leaf, always compared to Peyton Manning. I think what you have to really appreciate Peyton Manning for is that he had all this crazy expectation around him. And then he did it. He did become one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. The sheriff, a legend, breaking records, winning Super Bowls, dominating the NFL. I always have admired Peyton Manning for that. How he handled that pressure and ran with it and took it and did well. I, th I think no one ever gives him credit for that. Expectations can be really hard on someone. 
if you're not equipped to handle that. And he handled it very, very well. Another thing I really admire Peyton Manning for. Peyton Manning has been having ESPN beg him, actively begging him to be their Monday night football broadcaster. Here's what they don't tell you about doing Monday night football. You travel a ton. You're away from your family. You're on the road. Peyton doesn't want that lifestyle. He wants to sit in his basement and do Monday night football. And he found a way to make it happen. You got that Peyton and Eli broadcast, the alternative, alternative broadcast for Monday night football. And he said, look, I'm doing it my way with my brother. Sorry, ESPN. If you want me, you got to give me everything I want. And he demanded that and he got it. I love that. I think it's very possible someday when Peyton Manning's kids move out, we could see a world where eventually he is the guy on the road traveling like a Kirk Herbstreet or like a – but if you ever want to read about Kirk Herbstreet's schedule, it's insane the amount of traveling and running around this guy does. Peyton doesn't want that. He knows he's got leverage, and he tailored his broadcasting experience exactly the way he wanted it to be. And uh, hey – that deserves a round of applause. I love that. I really admire the way Peyton Manning has navigated this Monday Night Football broadcasting opportunity and, and done, frankly, a really good job. It made it very interesting. I, I'd love to give them notes. I, I think they're better off when it's them talking about football. They don't need guests on. They don't need golfers and basketball players talking about football. Uh, I don't need pay- If Peyton Manning wants to interview people, that should be something else. But, man, I, I really admire that Peyton Manning does it his way, clearly the way he wants to, and uh, it's some good stuff. How about the next guy that I really admire? Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew was a guy who played at East Carolina University. Wasn't really wanted. Had to transfer out. Gardner Minshew got offered the third-string quarterback job at Alabama. He would have been the backup behind Tua Tungavaloa and Jalen Hurts. Basically, there to learn for a year, then become a coach at Alabama. That was exactly what Gardner Minshew's career path was leading him he was going to be a coach a quarterback who had a decent career but never really made it and then out of left field Mike Leach the head coach at Washington State gets the phone and goes hey Gardner you want to play you want to lead the nation in passing screw being a backup screw being a coach come play quarterback for me and I was at Washington State the one year Gardner Minshew was there. I learned a lot from Gardner. And the thing that I admire the most about Gardner Minshew is both on and off the field, he makes the best of every moment. You know, when it's time to party, he's going to party harder than anybody. And when it's time to work, he's going to work way harder than you. He gets after it. And I... When you say a quarterback parties, that sounds cringy and scary. But what I mean is that he enjoys his moments. Like, he really enjoys his life. He's the kind of guy you want to be friends with. The kind of guy you want to follow into battle. And I, I, I've never, ever, ever talked about quarterbacks and said partying is a good thing, right? I don't – but that's not what I mean when I say Gardner parties. I mean that when you win a game, he's going to enjoy it. And smile and celebrate. And there is a massive part of life that needs to happen, which is you need to celebrate the little victories in your life. And when you go from the quarterback at East Carolina University to thinking maybe you're going to be a backup at Alabama, become a coach, and then lead the nation in passing at Washington State, when that's your journey, you're smiling through it. You're enjoying it. When people are wearing little mustaches to emulate you, you're going to go, that's pretty dang cool. That's what Gardner did. Gardner enjoyed everything. And he went to the NFL and did really well in Jacksonville, I thought, as their starting quarterback. For the brief period he was. I, I've always thought that Gardner's the kind of guy you could build a football team around. Is he the best quarterback in the NFL? No. But I, I, would lo- I, I wish someday we could see Gardner Minshew have an NFL team, embrace him, and build around him. He's probably going to have a career more like Ryan Fitzpatrick, move around a bunch, be a backup for years. But I'll tell you what, being a backup in the NFL is way better, and, and he'll coach someday. I'm sure he will. He loves the game. But, man, compared to where his life was headed, being a graduate assistant basically at Alabama, 
Instead, he's an NFL quarterback. Starting or not, he's in the NFL and making the most of it. <laughs> and that's an incredible story, man. I, I really, I will, I think everyone can learn from Gardner, man, where there are moments in your life where you got to sometimes smile, appreciate them, and go. It's pretty dang cool. One, one of the moments in my life, I go swimming. I live in, in Waikiki, Hawaii. It's, it's a neighborhood in, in Honolulu, and I live by the beach. And uh, tonight, I'm going to go swimming at sunset. And when I go swimming at sunset, it's one of those moments where you're like, this is pretty dang cool. And I, I sometimes think of Gardner Minshew, how much he would enjoy that moment. And uh, I, I just really, I've always admired Gardner, his attitude, the way he just fully embraces the human experience, whether it's when it's time to work, it's time to work. When it's time to meet people and welcome people, he'll do that as well. He gets along with everybody. And uh, I've just always really, really admired Gardner Minshew. How about someone who's not a quarterback, right? He's the only co- person on the list who's not a quarterback. And that's not, these are eight people I admire. They're the first eight I thought of. It's not like I was like, here are seven quarterbacks and one guy. And no, I just was like, here are the eight people that I can think of off the top of my head that I admire in the sports world. Give me, let me drink some water real quick. The next person I admire in the sports world is LeBron James. A lot of people, I, I think, don't like LeBron because he's spoken about politics and he's been very uh, open and forthcoming about his political stances. And um, I don't talk about politics, but here's why I admire LeBron tremendously. Not only was he a guy viewed as – he had tremendous pressure, similar to Peyton Manning actually, viewed as the savior of Cleveland. And you know what he did? Before his – here, here's a couple of things he did actually. He went to Cleveland. Then he left, won a championship with Miami or two, and then did the weirdest thing. He went back to his hometown of Cleveland and won a title with them. He made Cleveland a champion. That's pretty dang cool. If that's the whole story, that's already incredible. But it's so much more than that. LeBron James is the greatest athlete of his generation in the NBA, right? I don't, I, don't, I don't like the argument. People compare him to Kobe and Michael Jordan, and I'm like, I, like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really care about that argument. I don't, they're different eras of basketball. They're all great in their own right. I don't need to have a greatest of all time. I don't really care. I just don't have the energy for that argument. But how can you not admire what LeBron James has done in his career? And not only admire his talent and how he played, but how long it's lasted. It's unbelievable how long LeBron James has been dominant in the NBA. And here's my favorite thing about LeBron that I really admire. This is a guy who had a single mom from Akron, Ohio, who became a cultural phenomenon, a superstar. Generational wealth, all this money, a lot of influence over society. And I think he's handled it really responsibly. Really, like, he, he's a dad. He works hard. Never, like, you know, I, I, I want to talk about Justin Bieber for a second real quick. Justin Bieber became famous really early on in his life, like at 16 years old. Women, money, fame can be a lot to deal with. And, and Justin Bieber, at a couple points in his life, has gotten in trouble for, like, speeding or doing dumb stuff in cars. And I, I would challenge you. Okay, you become a multimillionaire at 16 years old and not want to take a Ferrari for a crazy drive once or twice, right? I'm sure I would have if, if that had happened to me. Here's what it didn't happen with. That's, that story never happened with LeBron James. There is no moment where you can point to where LeBron got irresponsible with money. LeBron went a little bit crazy. Generational wealth. At a tremendously early point in his life. I think he's been in the NBA longer than he hasn't been in the NBA, which is an unbelievable reality. He's done so much good. LeBron has done so much good. Raised money for charity. Helped people. Been a good example of how to be a professional athlete, be a pro, be a dad. I I will always admire LeBron. And I I really, I think that 
I, I would challenge a lot of other people to put themselves in the position of LeBron James, and I would hope we would all handle it as well as LeBron did. I don't know that I would have. He's a better man than me. Generational wealth at 18, 19, I was not ready for that kind of thing. I, I don't know that I am a, still. I really like. So I, uh, I really always will admire LeBron, how he handled fame, how he handled money, how he's become a dad. Um, and, and also, you know, whether you agree with his politics or not, there is a part of me that goes, I, I respect him for doing what he believes is right. You don't have to agree. But there's something compelling about a person who speaks up for causes they think are right and does what their heart compels them to do. And LeBron has always done that. And I, I just said, will always admire LeBron for how he carries himself and for the person he is on top of the athlete he is. The next person I want to talk about, uh, another guy from Ohio, actually. Anyone know where I'm going to go with this next? He's a quarterback from Ohio. Anyone know? He's still in Ohio. Joe Burrow, the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, Joe Burrow, maybe the best thing you can take away from Joe Burrow as a person is not only his story, but his swagger and his self-confidence. The way he carries himself, I find very inspiring. The obvious confidence, the obvious, um, again, the word is swagger. You're just like, wow, this dude like believes in himself. And he, he definitely pushes the boundary a little bit of, of being cocky, but I, I think at the center of it, though, is a guy who never is cocky because he clearly cares for his teammates so much. He has a heart of gold, and it's, it also leaks out of him. And oh, my goodness, man. You know, I, I wonder if uh, – I worry about that a little bit, though. As time goes on, he's the new story in the NFL. He's something people like. People love his swagger and his, his confidence now. When he gets to be 37, around the age Aaron Rodgers is in the NFL, are people going to be tired of him? Is that new darling face in the NFL going to mature into someone that people are tired of seeing be confident and talk the way he does and smoke cigars? I don't know. I hope not. But I, I want to say now, let's not forget how much we appreciate that side of him now. And when he's probably still that same guy in 10 years from now, let's not be angry at him for it. Here's what I love. Here's Joe Burrow's story. He was at Ohio State. I, I guess he broke his hand like he was hurt, but he lost the job to Dwayne Haskins. And so he had to transfer out of Ohio State to LSU. LSU is a team that um, never really – they had a lot of talent often. But they never had a great quarterback. Like they, they were always a team that was like, uh, this, this program is better than what they're, the level they're performing at because the quarterback is never good enough. Like Their best quarterback for years was like Zach Mettenberger. And you're like, Zach Mettenberger sucks. He's awful. Like I, can't, I can't believe he was, he was tall and had a strong arm, and that's literally it. Joe Burrow goes to LSU, and his, and his first year at LSU was like a sixth-round pick. Like He frankly wasn't anybody. He was fine, had a weak arm, did a, a couple good things, but really wasn't impressive to anybody. And he made tremendous improvement from year one at LSU to year two, his final year at LSU. He went to the national championship. They won. I would argue that Joe Burrow had the best college season in NCAA history. He put up incredible numbers, destroyed the record books, and he did it against SEC-level competition. Hey, you know, everyone talks about how Trevor Lawrence is the greatest quarterback since Andrew Luck, the best quarterback prospect in years. And I was always like, what? Jill Burrow is a better quarterback prospect, in my opinion, than Andrew Luck. And, and no one talks about that. For some reason... It wasn't sexy to say Joe Burrow, generational talent, but he was. I, I would argue Joe Burrow was a better prospect coming out of college than Andrew Luck, better than Trevor Lawrence, which I know I, know I sound out there, but I don't really care. That's my opinion, and I, I felt that way. Go listen to my old stuff. I said that at the time. I love Joe Burrow, and uh, what I love about him most is that he mastered everything he could control. He's like, look, I'm not 
the tallest guy on the field. I'm not the fastest. But I can be the most accurate. I can be the most decisive, get the ball to my hands quickly, handle a blitz really well. My God, man, I, I love Joe Burrow, and uh, I love that he clearly works really, really hard. Like, he, he just gets after it. And uh, to take his team to a Super Bowl in his second year with a horrible offensive line, the most sacked quarterback in the NFL, they lost the Super Bowl. But to get there at all, <laughs> unbelievable, man. I really admire Joe Burrow. It's hard not to. The last person I admire in the sports world, not the last one, but the last one in this list we'll talk about today, number eight, is uh, Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens starting quarterback. He's a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback who went to Louisville in Kentucky. Here is why I really admire Lamar Jackson. When he was coming out of college and going to the NFL, people wanted him to switch positions to become a receiver or a running back. And I, I, look, I, I deleted these videos. It's one of the I, – I try to leave all my old takes up. Um, I deleted this one because I'm like, this is a bad look. I don't, I'm not proud of this at all. I entertained that conversation too. I'm like, well, it makes sense. Like, you know, the quarterback position was different. Like I, his, I was, I remember saying like his best attribute is he can run the football better than anyone in the NFL. That's a receiver. That's a running back. Like that's not a quarterback. And I, I would show, I, I was so short sighted and dead wrong. And Lamar Jackson said, screw all you guys. I'm not even going to run a 40 yard dash at the combine. You're never going to know my 40 yard dash time. And I'm playing quarterback. I'm not changing positions. I am playing quarterback. And in that Draft class, I believe, 2018, I believe. Yeah, because Kyler Murray was 2019 the next year. So tw- the 2018 draft class, you had Baker Mayfield go first, then Sam Darnold, then Josh Rosen. Sorry, then Josh Allen, then Josh Rosen. And then the final pick of the first round, Lamar Jackson got drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. Ozzie Newsom's last ever pick as a Ravens GM. Maybe last of our first round pick, but he was, Ozzie Newsom was on his way out. He picks Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson went from a guy who people were literally entertaining the conversation, should he change positions, to the NFL MVP at the quarterback position. That's a guy who said, hey, man, I believe in myself. I don't really care what anyone else says. I'm not here for that conversation. I'm a quarterback. I'm playing quarterback. And he's got this incredible, incredible quote. One of my favorite Lamar Jackson moments of all time. Some press conference, he goes, they're talking about his accomplishments as a passer and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, hey, man, not bad for a running back. Oh, yeah, I love that. That's a guy who's aware of the narrative around him. Who's like, hey, screw you guys, man. I know what I can do. Kind of trolling the people who said he should play running back. I love that, man. That's a guy who had self-confidence and said, I'm, I'm a quarterback. I'm, I'm playing quarterback, and I'm going to not only become a quarterback, I'm going to become an elite, incredible quarterback, one of the best in the NFL. Electric, fun to watch, great dude, works his butt off. I, I love Lamar. I, I, I really admire him as a person, uh, as a, like, he seems like a fun guy, just as a, like, I w- he's the kind of guy, I'm like, I, him and Gardner Minshew are, like, the two people most probably in the NFL. I'm like, I'd love to meet them and hang out with them. Joe Burrow, I would feel uh, a sense of pressure. Tom Brady, how do you even do that? He probably doesn't even drink. Lamar would be fun to hang out with, like a really cool guy. I I know that, man. And uh, I I just so admire Lamar Jackson, how he handled that moment in his career where everyone said he should do one thing. He didn't care. He followed his own path, and he is dominated as a quarterback in the NFL. So, guys, those are eight athletes I admire in the sports world. Uh, we made it to 45 minutes. It's going to be an hour-long show. That's amazing. Wow, look at that. Um, so next, uh, to end the show, if you like Formula One, uh, I put this topic out on YouTube on Sunday night. So it's been out for a while. I recorded it, obviously, separately a while ago. Uh, I haven't put it out to the podcast feed yet. So uh, now, if you want to, enjoy my conversation about... Um, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, the second F1 race of the year. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening.
And if you like F1, stay tuned. Uh, all right, let's play that right now. Let's talk about the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, the second F1 race of the year. There is so much to talk about. Uh, the story of this race, in my opinion, really has three parts. You got qualifying, you got the early race, and then you have from about lap 36 on the late stages of the race. Let's start with qualifying. First of all, uh, Lewis Hamilton could not make it out of Q1. He simply did not have the base. He actually qualified 16th, which is horrible. Uh, he did start the race in P15 because of a crash to Mick Schumacher. Um, but it's just really crazy how much things have changed from last year to now. You know, four months ago at the end of last year, Lewis Hamilton was on pole at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And Saturday was his worst qualifying in years. And uh, it really is a testament to show how much Mercedes really is struggling with their car and with their pace. Now, in Q2, Mick Schumacher uh, crashed. He was all right, but his car got destroyed. He did not race at all on Sunday. Kind of a big blow to Haas because, man, they've been building momentum and they got some points again this weekend. And they only had one of their cars running because their second driver and their second car was just annihilated by uh, the crash. I kind of wonder... I don't know if this is an off-color color joke or not, but I wonder, did Mick Schumacher get hit harder by the wall or Chris Rock get hit harder by Will Smith? <laughs> Anyone say that video, Will Smith? Oh, my goodness. Uh, anyway, uh, also, there's one kind of feel-good story from qualifying. Sergio Perez was amazing during qualifying. Now, let me be clear. I'm glad Mick Schumacher is okay. I'm, I, was, I really want to see Haas uh, keep going and hopefully have two competitive cars in the coming races. Now, Sergio Perez got his first ever pole position. Uh, this was his 215th race in Formula One. And it's been a long time coming. And it's kind of a nice reminder. You know, last year we learned, oh my gosh, this is what Sergio Perez can look like in a really good top car in F1. And it, he's a guy we always thought that about. We always kind of wondered, hmm, you know, Sergio Perez has been on a bad team for a long time. What would happen if you put a guy with clearly the talent he has in a top car? We learned last year, and then finally, uh, on Saturday, he got his first ever pull in F1. Now, the race itself, uh, in the early part of the race on Sunday, the most fun thing was the two Alpine drivers going head-to-head, -head, Esteban Alcon and Fernando Alonso. They were battling back and forth for sixth place, following each other really closely. It was Esteban Alcon gave some kind of quote talking about how it felt like go-karts, right? Because they're so much more able to follow each other this year than they have been in uh, previous years. And Alpine let them race, which I love. It hurt the team a little bit. It did slow them down. It allowed uh, Valtteri Bottas with the Alfa Romeo to kind of challenge them a little bit. But on the flip side, they dominated the screen and put on a show for their advertisers. So, um, look, was it a stunt? Maybe. I don't really know. It, it certainly was great to see them on TV for like half of the race. Um, but it was also a really fun battle. And, and that's what I live for in F1 is watching these guys race wheel to wheel and battling back and forth for positioning. And I do want to add, I could see it being hard to be teammates with Fernando Alonso. He's always driven like a bit of a bully where, and, and it was it was interesting. We saw Esteban Alcon kind of challenge Fernando Alonso and make a late move in front of him. And then later, uh, Fernando Alonso kind of squeezed Esteban Alcon. And it'll be interesting to see how their relationship progresses throughout the year. Like, it's fine to be aggressive on the track. I would be curious to know if that aggression from Fernando Alonso will, will carry off the track as well. Um, and even if their relationship is good now, and I'm sure, I think Esteban Ocon talks openly about how like he's learned a lot from Fernando Alonso, their teammates, and I think he looks up to him and respects him. But how long will that carry on? Like, will, by the end of the year, is their relationship going to be in a different place where it goes from competitive teammates that want to beat each other to could animosity grow up, you know, grow at any point this year and kind of, Bubble. I don't know, but I'm, I'm really interested to see and kind of follow along how that relationship plays out as the year goes on. Uh, now, look, honestly, this was a great moment for Alpine. Again, dominating the screen uh, bit was really fun to watch. They were sixth and seventh, which meant that they were behind only the big three teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. And like I said, it was a fun show. I loved the battle. Now, another storyline from early on in this race was that 
Mercedes pace is just not at all where it needs to be. There was a moment where Kevin Magnuson in a Haas passed Lewis Hamilton for P6 in this race. And it was just a great example of how different things are this year compared to last year. And seeing, watching a Haas pass a Mercedes car was mind-boggling. I'm like, I, I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. And it wasn't like the Mercedes was having a power issue or it had a flat spot or anything like, no, no, no. Kevin Magnuson's car was just faster than Lewis Hamilton's in that moment. And I did not see that coming at all. I, I thought Haas would be better this year, maybe a little bit, but I, I did not see, wow, Mercedes is way slower than they have been in previous years. And Haas is faster than they've been in a long, long time. Now, the final big storyline from early on in this race has to do with Sergio Perez. Sergio Perez got an incredibly unlucky break. I felt really bad for the guy. Checo was in P1. Charles Leclerc was behind him. And Ferrari, to their credit, pulled a really great bluff where they show they were about to box. Their their team went out to change the tires for, uh, for Charles Leclerc. And the reality is Ferrari gave Charles Leclerc orders to do the opposite of whatever Sergio Perez did. So Sergio Perez goes into box to block the undercut Charles Leclerc stays out. Sergio Perez does do a pit stop, puts on new tires. And unfortunately, on the very next lap, almost immediately, actually, Nicholas Latifi crashed his Williams. And this really, really screwed Sergio Perez because the margins are razor thin in Formula One. And Checo took a normal length pit stop. And then immediately, everyone else behind him was handed a cheaper pit stop under caution. And so you know, with a safety car. So this took Checo from P1 all the way back to putting him in P4. And it was just painfully unlucky timing. I would have liked to see how the race would have played out if he'd found a way to stay in P1 and not been screwed over by that timing. But that's F1. That happens sometimes, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, but it's a reminder that, like, look, that that narrow moment, like, like that 10-second advantage you get from taking a pit stop under a safety car can mean the difference between first place and fourth place in Formula 1. And that's so very much why I love this sport. Now, lap 36, the race took a turn one more time from the early race and some of the fun drama to becoming a a chaotic mess for a little bit and then turning into a whole different race. So there was a cascade of problems and retirements. On lap 36, Fernando Alonso's uh, Alpine was overheating. He was in seventh at the time, so he had to retire from the race. That's a big deal. Lap 37, Daniel Ricciardo just suddenly lost power and stalled out right in front of the pit entry. It actually blocked Lewis Hamilton from being able to go take a pit stop, which he was in P6 at the time, and he had to wait a while to get a a tire change, and that pushed him back down the grid a little bit more. And then at lap 38, Valtteri Bottas had to retire. So after this weird kind of frenzy of moments and retirements, what was left was this incredible battle during the final eight to 10 laps of the race between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc, the Red Bull versus the Ferrari. And we got eight laps of back and forth, wheel to wheel driving. It was an incredible battle. Max made an early move that didn't stick. He made his move early in the lap and he passed Charles Leclerc, then Charles Leclerc passed him right back. And then eventually on lap 47 out of 50, Max learned from the past, was more patient, waited till later in the lap, and at right at the very right moment, he, he decided to finally pass Charles Leclerc uh, for first place. And so Max held on. He won the race. And I got to say that so far between race one and two, we've had this incredible battle with Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. And, you know, Leclerc won race one, Max won number two. And I hope it stays neck and neck all year long. The battle between... The Red Bull, the, the top driver at Red Bull and the top driver at Ferrari is, is so fun. And the potential for what this battle could become as the year goes on, if they stay neck and neck all year long, I mean, this could be another wild ending in Formula One, similar to what we had last year with Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. Maybe not as controversial, hopefully, as we had last year, but truly, like, feels like we got a neck and neck battle that is very even right now. And um, I'm excited to see where it goes. And I also I want to give a shout out to the new F1 regulations. Changes were made that allow cars to have an easier time following each other 
and fighting back and, and staying behind each other for these long extended battles. And it's some of the most enjoyable racing we've had in the entire time I've watched F1. These long back and forth fights, you know, wheel to wheel between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc or Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso. And I just am really, really happy where Formula One is right now. The regulations are great. The battles are great. I feel like it's a very healthy time to be a fan of the sport. And I think you could argue that it's maybe the best time in quite a while to be a Formula One fan. And uh, I am very, very happy with what's going on. Now, here are the final results from Saudi Arabia. In first place, you got Max Verstappen. In second, you got Charles Leclerc. He also got the fastest lap, so he got 19 points on the day. Third was Carlos Sainz. That is two podiums for Ferrari in back-to-back races. Fourth, you got Sergio Perez for Red Bull. Uh, P5 was George Russell for Mercedes. P6, Esteban Ocon for Ocon or Ocon. I always, I feel like I say that horribly. I, I apologize. I know it's probably wrong uh, for Alpine. P7, Lando Norris for McLaren. If you're mad at me about Esteban Ocon, Ocon pronunciation, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> I'm just going to say that all year. Uh, although, feel free to correct me and, and I'll try my best, I guess. Um, P8, sorry, sorry, P7, we got Lando Norris for McLaren. P8, Pierre Gasly. P9, Kevin Magnussen for Haas. And then all the way back at P10, getting only one point on the day, you had Lewis Hamilton. A weird, humbling start to the year so far for Lewis Hamilton. He's just happy to be around and hanging hanging around the top at all in Formula 1. Here are the constructor standings right now. You got Ferrari in first place with 78 points. Uh, Behind them, Mercedes in second with 38 points. Red Bull's in third right now with 37 points. The top two teams right now in Formula 1 are Red Bull and Ferrari. Red Bull had uh, problems finishing the race during the, the first race of the year in Bahrain. But I, I don't know, man. I see a world where something's going to happen to Ferrari along this incredibly long season where it's going to be very quick. That At some point, they're going to be closer and more neck and neck. But the two top teams right now in Formula 1 are very clearly Ferrari and Red Bull. Uh, then you got Alpine in fourth place with 16 points. Haas is in fifth place with 12 points. Alfa Romeo in ninth, uh, sorry, in fifth, in, Alfa Romeo is in sixth place with nine points, and then Alfa Tauri is in seventh with eight points, and then McLaren has points on the board. They got six points. They are in eighth. Aston Martin and Williams have no points on the year so far, and uh, for Williams, Nicholas Latifi had a horrible, horrible weekend, a crash in qualifying, then a crash again on Sunday during the race, and I'm really curious if Williams can do anything to be relevant at all the entire year. I, I have no interest in them. Alex Albin seems like a not a great driver. Latifi has no pace and keeps crashing. I'm like, I don't, I don't. I think right now the the far and away least interesting team in Formula One right now is Williams. Now we got to talk about Otmar Safnauer. He left Aston Martin. He was their team principal last year, and he left. With some, something happened behind the scenes, I don't. We don't really know. Was he was he fired? Did he leave? It sounded like kind of a mutual disagreement. He walked away and became the team principal at Alpine. And, and so far, Otmar Safnauer has won the breakup with Aston Martin to this point. Uh, two races in, Aston Martin has no points and they look lost. Now they should get Sebastian Vettel, their top driver, back for Australia, um, but Alpine. In contrast, is fourth in F1 behind only the big three teams, Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. And uh, I just want to say good for Otmar Safnauer. Like, awesome for him. Clearly, there was some kind of disagreement behind the scenes with Aston Martin. He left, and he seems to be doing much better on his new team. And I, I'm really enjoying watching Alpine, what they're doing with Alcon and Fernando Alonso. And I, uh, I, I think this battle, kind of this, this moment right now for fourth between... Can McLaren make a push? I think so. They're getting better. It was unfortunate Daniel Ricciardo had to retire early during lap 37. But you got McLaren, Haas, and Alpine all battling for fourth right now in Formula 1. I guess Alpha Tower's in the mix somewhere, too. And, um, and then Alpha Romeo's strong, too. Like, the midfield right now is the most interesting it's been in quite a while. Because you have so many players that feel capable of getting fourth in Formula 1. And so, uh, shout out to the midfield. It's been really fun. And... I, the, the regulations, the battle at the top between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen, the midfield, everything right now, I am loving it in Formula One. And we are, uh, it, it is shaping up to be maybe 
uh, just another, maybe I don't want to make this grandiose statement, but I'm like really excited about where the year is going. And I feel like the sense of it's already been two races. It's been incredible so far. A lot of that is thanks to the regulations and the changes made there. Uh, it's interesting that Mercedes is down, and I, I'm, I bet some fans are celebrating that Mercedes is not the dominant force they once were. I'm actually kind of like, I'd like to see Mercedes get even better and kind of throw their hat in the ring as well. Um, and uh, I just am, I can't say enough how excited I am for the rest of the year in Formula One. It's shaping up to be an incredible season, and two races in, oh man, I, I am so, so happy. Uh, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. Have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.